like work and sex have been divorced from any kind of meaning. It can open up your mind to a different type of novel that you're not used to reading. I was up for the challenge. We both really love Brett Easton Ellis. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a connection here between these two authors. They're both kind of pointing at this cancerous thing that's going on in the West, and they show how it really messes up people's lives. In this space of which they are so afraid, human beings learn how to live and to die. In their mental space, separation, distance, and suffering are born. There is little to add to this. The lover hears his beloved's voice over mountains and oceans. Over mountains and oceans, a mother hears the cry of her child. Love binds, and it binds forever. Good binds, while evil unravels. Separation is another word for evil. It is also another word for deceit. All that exists is a magnificent interweaving, vast and reciprocal. Welcome to Band Book Club. We're your hosts, Nick and Rafaela. And that was a quote from Atomized or The Elementary Particles by Michelle Welbeck. So, (laughs) I hate starting sentences with in life, but... In life, let it slide. I think I've realized that one good metric for knowing if someone has done something interesting or worthwhile is just the sheer amount of adjectives that people use to describe them, or the variety of adjectives that people use to describe them. For someone like let's say in the realm of writing, Stephen King, the adjectives are like pretty unanimous. It's usually just amazing guy, great author, and no one really has anything else to say. That's just kind of the consensus. But when people start getting called a lot of different things or even things that contradict each other, that's usually a sign to me that at least something interesting is going on there. When we're talking about Michelle Welbeck, if you do a little bit of internet research on him, you're going to find a lot of different adjectives. Some of these are provocateur, misogynist, Islamophobe, nihilist, humanist, cynic, reactionary, prophet, poet, curmudgeon, genius, boring philosopher, and enfant terrible. I think that the most accurate of all of these, if if you're dumb enough to try and sum someone up with just one word, is reactionary. Michelle Welbeck is a reactionary. But that begs the question, what is he reacting to? And I think, judging by this book and the larger body of his work, the thing he's reacting to is the violent and horrible death of Western society. 
which that sounds like a broad thing. Oh, death of Western <laughs> society. If we want to be a little more specific, I think what he's reacting to within that is neoliberalism, mm-hmm. or at least the effects of the neoliberalist movement through economics and sexuality. If you want to say that Welbeck has a thesis in this book or in his writing, I think that would be something along the lines of the conditions that neoliberalism create in society make it impossible for people to love or live, really. And that's about it. That's what this book is about. That's what it explores. It does so through two brothers, Michelle and Bruno, that we see, and it shows the effects that these ideas have had on them in forming them in uh, their parents that came before them as precursors, as they're described in this book, of these ideas. And, of course, it's way more complicated than that, and... As my pastor says, we're going to unpack some of that (laughs) in a little bit here. We will. But that's the basic stage here. Right. There's not really like a plot, so to speak, but yes, it revolves around Michelle and Bruno, which are in a way maybe two halves of Michelle Huelbeck himself. Um, But just to give you a little background on you know, who is Michel Welbeck? So he is a Frenchman. He actually was uh, raised in Algeria. Um, he was actually, he, he says that his parents lost interest in his existence very quickly. And when he was only six years old, he was sent to live in France with his paternal grandmother, who was a communist, while his mother left to live a hippie lifestyle in Brazil with her recent boyfriend. So, um, real life uh <laughs> and already a lot of parallels between yeah in the, book. the two brothers in this book they're also pretty much abandoned by their hippie parents or hippie mother mm-hmm. they share the same mom so they're half brothers um but yeah this mom in the book is pretty awful um but why is this book banned i mean not just this book but just michelle huelbeck as a person is really a controversial author. He's been labeled, like you said in your opening, uh, vulgar. His literature is like pamphlet literature, pornography. He's accused of obscenity, racism, misogyny, and Islamophobia. And just a little fun fact, in the tradition of a lot of really good French writers, he's actually gotten to the point also where he's been taken into court for some of this stuff. Um, He was actually... Uh, taken to court because of an offhand remark he made about Islam during a publicity tour for his 2001 novel Platform um, and because he was inciting racial hatred. So he's pretty much been Which he was acquitted of, by the way. Oh, okay, good. Well, he's been, I guess, sort of in and out of hiding, but he recently got married to someone who is a little bit too much younger than him. But he's a very interesting character. And if you want to look up interviews with Michelle Welbeck, you'll be very entertained. Um, But yeah, it's funny you say about in the beginning, like there's so many different ways to describe him and they're 
juxtaposed, you know, they say he's, you know, one good thing, but also one bad thing. And I read a review um, and I'm sorry, I forgot to put where this review came from, but I really liked how they summed up Atomize. It says, Atomize may sound like the type of book you wish to avoid. It's heavy on theory. It's filled with unpalatable opinions. For example, one of the characters sees Islam as analogous to Nazism, perhaps overly graphic. But instead, it's the type of book everyone should read. Ambitious, innovative, filled with ideas which are genuinely challenging, perhaps even a thing of beauty. It demands to be judged by no standards other than its own. So I thought that was an interesting review. Like, you shouldn't read this book, but you should read this book. <laughs> yeah, stylistically, it's very interesting at least in that it breaks a lot of rules. There are characters just espousing philosophy for paragraphs at a time. There are very dry, well, I kind of like dry, but maybe let's say deadpan chunks of the book where you could say a a lot more telling than showing is going on. Mm -hmm. There are interruptions constantly, in the scenes where you'll just get a big entry of scientific information or descriptions of stuff from women's magazines in the baby boomer era. And overall, just a lot of things that would raise an editor's eyebrow at a publishing house if this manuscript came in. But the actual meat of the book is what really interested me um but yes i i mean when it did go off on tangents about science or molecules and atoms and neurons some of the stuff went over my head and that's probably just my fault but maybe you do like that it reminds me of american psycho with the double-breasted wool suits it goes off on its own I think it's it's you know a valid criticism of the book. Personally, I don't care what literary rule you're breaking in your book so long as it keeps me engaged. Right. And I was fully engaged through the whole thing. I think even when he would do a move like, you know, a character had just gone to their mother's or grandmother's funeral and then you're describing that and immediately it's followed up with a description of fly larvae and how they break something down and the kind of ecosystem that comes out of something dying in their body. All of it was interesting to me, and I I think it all served a purpose. And maybe this will seem like a stretch, but there was almost something innovative about that stylistically. It was like... It was like a research paper. It was like it was a research paper. It was philosophy dissertation it was a um, interesting literary story being told mm-hmm. uh it was anthropology history all this stuff it was a what it, i thought it was was like a collage style of writing and maybe that's a big turnoff to some readers mm-hmm. but to me it was something i had never seen and I think it's too, a little too simplistic to write all of that off as just, you know, poor writing. But I get that, you know, not everybody wants to hear about the mating habits of squids and... 
Stay with us. We'll be right back. Before we continue, a quick interruption. Want to purchase the book we're discussing in this episode? Well, check out Bookshop. Bookshop is an online bookstore with a mission to financially support local independent bookstores. As more and more people buy their books online, Bookshop has created an easy, convenient way for you to get your books and support bookstores at the same time. Bookshop will give away over 75% of their profit margin to stores, publications, and authors. If you want to shop the books we've covered on the podcast, visit the link down below in the description. We do receive a small commission based on sales, so thank you for all your support of our channel and podcast. Yeah, well, I think it works for this book because it is a very scientific book. Um, It really is analyzing, like you said, the Western civilization. And so having those long descriptions makes sense. But when you're not interested in what is being said, it can be really hard or you're like looking up words like I had to do a couple of times it takes me out of the story, but it could work for someone else. It didn't work for me, at least those parts. But the characters themselves, Michelle and Bruno, especially when Bruno was on the page, I was definitely engaged to see what was going on with him and what was going to happen. I, I know you gave your summary, but I, I have these quotes that if uh, you're thinking about reading this book, just so you have a taste of what are these guys like and how different they are. Um, So this is a quote about Michelle. For years, Michelle had lived a purely intellectual existence. The world of human emotions was not in his field. He knows little about it. Nowadays, life can be organized with minute precision. Supermarket cashiers respond to an imperceptible nod. Um, Michelle knew that Bruno, by contrast, was frittering away his prime, chasing neurotic lolitas with big breasts, round buttocks, and eager mouths. Thank God he was a civil servant. It was not absurd, Bruno's world. It was melodrama where the characters were babes and dogs, cool guys and losers. Michelle, on the other hand, lived in a world where everything was precisely regulated. I think that really sums up the different types of guys they were. They couldn't be more different, and I think you were right with your intuition earlier that they're both parts of Michelle Welbeck. I mean, there's a little clue there. One of them is named Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, not very subtle. (laughs) But um, if you know a little bit about him in real life, they both seem like versions of him, at least. But at the same time, they're kind of inextricably bound by inextricably bound by their past that sounds like an incredibly pretentious thing to say but it's true that's what the the first third of the book really sets up is what they have in common Mm -hmm. it's this baby well they're baby boomers it's the parents of the baby boomers and the ideas that started to take shape in that generation what he calls the precursor stuff and how did it get this way how did we get to where we are now because it's the 2000s in this book and we're looking at i guess the mom lived through the 60s and the whole free love hippie movement and well that's what products what they have in common is the mother Mm -hmm. who the book makes out to be pretty much just a selfish monster of a woman you know someone who was 
intelligent and promising as a kid. But, but also traumatized her children by opening oh, yeah. up to sex way too early. I don't know if it was opening up to sex necessarily, but putting her own desires basically every time before the well-being of her children. And, I mean, you could say probably a lot of parents do that, but it, it's extreme in this book. I mean, she basically has orgies and does all sorts of, you know, very traumatizing stuff in front of her kids at an early age. Yeah. And until she decides that she just doesn't even want to be around them and she ships them just off sends them to away. live with different grandmothers mm-hmm. so she can go join these uh, like rock and roll commune. communes in America and be a part of all this stuff in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I guess the the trauma of that is what kind of binds these two guys together, even though they only meet a few times in the book. But and yeah. it, it affects them both in very different ways, Yeah. but also in kind of the same way. They're both extremely sexually dysfunctional. And this was mm-hmm. one of the asides, the scientific asides that I thought was very important in the book is mm-hmm. after it's describing, I think after a scene when the mom has had some kind of orgy or something in the house and the father of one of the brothers comes back looking for the kid but everyone everyone's passed out and he goes upstairs and finds the kid in a room a baby walking around in stuff i'm not going to describe right here you can you can he he picks up the baby and it's trembling and then right after that you get one of the scientific chunks of information about how it's uh, sexual research in rats, and it's it's some study that talks about how if a baby rat is not given the proper amount of touch or maternal affection, it has profound consequences in its sexual life as an adult, and basically it can't function. And that's exactly what happens to both of these brothers. The difference is, for Michelle, it's a complete removal from yeah, the whole he's world completely of that. asexual he can't even feel human emotions he doesn't get it there's an interesting tension i guess between watching their two lives play out alongside each other and being so different and not related to each other but at the same time dealing with the repercussions of their mother's choices yeah there's there's a quote i have Um, children suffer the world that adults create for them and try their best to adapt to it in time. Usually they will replicate it. And I I think that is some truth right there. The children do suffer what their parents' choices were. And usually they'll just become a copy of their parents or they're going to break free of the mold. Well, that's true for I guess in terms of being a copy of the parents, that's true for one of the brothers. The other one kind of transcends it. And I guess at this point, it's worth mentioning there are going to be some spoilers ahead as we get through yes. just the main points of the plot. But like like I said earlier, the first part of the book is this very scientific 
detached, cold, removed, almost like um, in the tone of the nature documentaries that Michelle mm-hmm. watches as he's a kid. It's an observation of their family family and the two generations that led up to them. So uh, parent, great-grandparents that were, or grandparents that were born, I guess, at the turn of the century, and then um, the parents, the mom, who was, you know, just starting to have, I guess, the first hints of this uh, sexual revolution type thing that's going to come into play later. And then the uh, the two brothers themselves. The f- the first half I'm saying is just explaining that how it got right, how they got to where they are, what formed like the basis of their minds and their childhood. The second part is them as adults, I think, in their 30s. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned, Michelle is a successful scientist. Bruno is a sex obsessed teacher, kind of muddling through his own career and a few unsuccessful publications but a big part of the second chunk of the book is this i don't know exactly what you would call it like a not a sex camp but um well i guess it was it was a commune originally somewhere in europe that kind of got modernized in the 90s when this book is going on and fitted with pools and you know self-improvement seminars and yoga training and nice cabins big chunk of the second part of the book is bruno's time there where he's basically going to find some easy sexual experiences yes that's where bruno is on at that whatever sex commune paradise for him um, where he meets his female counterpart Christian and Michelle has his own woman named Annabelle who is you know pretty sweet definitely messed up but she loves him to death and Michelle doesn't get it and Bruno has found someone pretty much just as obsessed with sex as he is Um, but it's it's basically ruining her life, even though she thinks she's happy. Um, and the same goes for Annabelle. She thinks all her love for Michelle is worth something. But this this book leads on. I mean, I'm not going to spoil this part. You can definitely read it for yourself. But this book has a very tragic, depressing end. I've seen people do reviews and say, uh, trigger warning, um, <laughs> don't read this if you're really sad or depressed um, because it will just ruin your day and probably make you think and walk in circles for a long time. Just to wrap up the the final third of the book, Michelle leaves, goes to Ireland, does his scientific research, and basically comes up with a way to manipulate... He's trying to fix humanity. He's trying to fix all of these problems that emotions get in the way of yeah he sees and you understand why sex as like this kind of negative enslaving almost force on humanity and the result of that in his scientific work is he manipulates the human genome and invents a new type of human that can be cloned that does not need to 
have sex as a part of its life. Yeah. And in the epilogue of the book, this new breed of human supplants the old one and it sounds like they're a lot happier. So Yeah, I, that's he, the plot in a nutshell. He takes out the whole, I don't know, the human part of living life and just strips it down uh to just uh, uh, I guess it's a living human and I guess it has skin and it can walk and talk but it's got no emotion, there's no reproducing. They're just functioning. <laughs> well, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think all of that goes back to the core of this book, which is that what Welbeck sees as this evil neoliberalism and what it would look like if you created a human that didn't have these desires and qualities that Welbeck is saying the neoliberal Western world feeds off of, like gasoline. Make sure you like this video if you're liking what you're hearing so far. And if you're not subscribed and you're watching this video, what are you doing? Subscribe. Thank you so much for following us. And let's get back into what you were about to bring up here. So now that we've gone over the plot, just uh, full disclosure here. This is one of my top five favorite books. I think um, even though he's a little bit offensive maybe a little bit upsetting to read i think michelle welbeck is pretty much right on the money with most of his stuff and i i consider this his best work and it's something i i return to every couple of years to read i love it i loved everything about it i thought it was well written innovative interesting and scarily maybe prophetic but I know you didn't quite have the same reaction. I wouldn't say I didn't have the same reaction. I th thought it was a good book. It I probably would have never picked it up if I read the back cover, if you hadn't told me about it. Um, I think it fits into a lot of the books that we've been talking about here on this channel, you know, with things like um, Less Than Zero or American Psycho or... Uh, 1984, you know, just going into nihilism and hedonism and what are the effects of the way you're brought up or just like values that looks you have. at the dark side of Western culture of, of society. Yeah. So I, I think it fits into that narrative. Um, the style of writing was different for me and maybe it's because it's a translation, but I, I think the only part that it took me out of the story from time to time was the really long descriptions of scientific material or, you know, whenever Michelle was on the page, you know, going on and on about something, it was, it was a little bit tough, but yeah, at the, at the heart of the story, I, I definitely understood what was going on and what kind of points I think uh, Michelle Huelbeck was trying to make, but so you, you liked the book just maybe not the biggest fan of the way it was presented maybe that's the way to put it um, because i know we both really love brett easton ellis mm -hmm. and i think there's a connection here between these two authors they're yeah. both kind of pointing at this cancerous thing that's going on in the west and they show 
how it really messes up people's lives. I think the difference, though, stylistically between them is Brett may... I think he's he comes at it more from a narrative, like aesthetic type level where you just, you get the story, you get, you're, you're not a, in a third person omniscient narrating style. So you're in the heads of these really dumb, vapid I guess characters. It's pretty funny too. And the scenery and you're in America, whereas this is very European. And there's never there's a, a, not a narrator things. jumping in and like interpreting it for you and giving yeah. you you know, backlogs of philosophy and history and science. But I think that's that's where the two offers, authors really branch off. Mm-hmm. Brett is more... It's a different style. He's more concerned with aesthetics in the story, whereas, or, or just telling a interesting story, I think, whereas uh, Welbeck, what he's doing is, to me, it's almost more like an autopsy of a dead body it's more like a scientific kind of project like showing something that's like a a disfigured corpse or something and saying let's look at figure a and why it why it's become this way Yeah, showing you exactly how it got there and which i think i can appreciate it it's definitely something to look up to and it can open up your mind to a different type of novel that you're not used to reading i was up for the challenge um even though it was a bit challenging to read at least for me i read whatever by Huelbeck, and if you told me those books were both written by the same person i'm i'm shocked they're very different books um as far as at least for me the writing style whatever was more just telling the story yeah and it's just a way more dense story but i agree it is taking a step back looking at life in a more scientific way and it just shows you how you know what happens when you take away so much and you're just left with that desire or when you reduce something down to just sex or just one thing when you have no value no religion no belief in anything what can happen to that person and i think that's a theme we see with a lot of these nihilistic books. It um, felt kind of like it was carrying the torch of what the stranger was trying to do, except yes. updated for the 2000s. I definitely felt the same kind of vibes and themes from the stranger in a book like this. So it's interesting to read a lot of the the critiques of this book, you know, in the book world, most of the critiques in the first place are going to come from people who lean more left or like publications that lean more left. And a lot of them admit that it's like an interesting book, Mm -hmm. but they think that the ideas in it or the, the book's own critique of liberalism or neoliberalism is just completely absurd. But without getting too political about it, do you think that the basic thesis of the book that this this idea the neoliberalism is a worse than toxic sort of thing that it makes love and life impossible do you think that's a sound idea on its own or do you think that he's just basically some incel kind of guy complaining that you know 
society made him the way he is and everything's society's fault and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, no matter what, you're going to read this book with your own ideas and maybe the life that you've had. And, you know, you might see yourself in one of these characters and, you know, who with the society we live in today, everybody can relate to being obsessed with material things or having sex thrown in your face all the time. Especially this world that Michelle has written about doesn't even have like social media and stuff. So I wonder what how different that book how different the book would have been if social media were involved. But I think if you can take away any of those preconceived notions or take a step back and look at like you said, look at this in a more scientific way. I mean, no matter what, I'm sure you the the natural liberal will be very offended by this book um, and just think like, well, what's wrong with that? Um, but I, I think he's just showing a different opinion of that world and how it can mess someone up if it's taken super far in one direction. And I don't think he's against the ideas of, you know, more open type of sex or more open type of economy or in themselves being against religion. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think he's, he's aiming at those things by themselves. It's more the th- sort of society that they're contextualized in now where like sex by itself isn't a bad thing. I think his argument is just, Look how easy it's become. Yeah, like, maybe. Or just that these these things like work and sex have been divorced from any kind of meaning. Like he talks a lot about the theology of the body by uh, John Paul II in this book. And the basic premise of that was, you know, if you if you open up the world to easy access to... Uh, birth control and um, abortion, abortion, all this stuff, it's slowly going to degrade the connection between sex and its ultimate function to produce children and create a a family structure. Like, has it become perverse in a way? I mean, yeah, I I think that's that's more what he's saying. And it's the same for um, the economic stuff he's talking about. Like, work itself isn't bad to... Well, Beck, it's what's bad is when work gets divorced from meaning. So in, in these kind of economies, instead of working to farm uh, or a farm something. or or yeah, like create some a product that actually has value that like, I don't know, you your father showed brought you up in this trade mm-hmm. and you you learned a skill and you had something solid of value to offer to society that you know, there's, you get paid for and there's this reciprocation and you build your wealth, you build your family's assets and you have something to leave to your kid. And he's saying that's been cut off. It doesn't exist anymore. And yeah, instead you uh, have people like Bruno that uh, they have no real skills. They're paying rent to live in an apartment that they're never going to own. They leave nothing to their kids 
and uh, you can easily buy whatever you need. <laughs> the ty- yeah, the type of work they do has no connection to something larger or to the earth itself, and it's and you end up with just all these miserable people in you know this middle class urban environment that uh, basically are making money for other companies because of their from their desire. It becomes like this sort of dissociation. You know, when you there's no values in these things anymore. Sex, love, material things, life itself. It's it just kind of breaks down the soul. Um at least that's how I took the meaning of this book and what I feel from it. It's just you're taking away the actual soul of everything. And that's basically what Michelle's project is to accomplish is how do I make this as cut and dry, black and white, where we just have these humanoid things that function in society and there is no individuality. But it's also saying that to be an individual is human. But what happens when yourself becomes I don't the know, end like, all be all. yeah, you're, you're, everything revolves around you and me and self-love and love. I'm going to love me before I love others. And while in a way it can be good, when is it taking it too far? So it's just a whole study of that is so, how I took this book. So that idea did resonate with you at least. Yeah. Even no, if the, of course. the style wasn't. A home run for you. That's what I would say. I got the the point of the book, but the way it was written was a little hard for me to connect with personally. And I know we were talking about this earlier, but um, determining whether Huelbeck is a nihilist and is this book just uh, owed to nihilism or is he a humanist? I think he's 100% a humanist. Yeah. He is... Hiding, I guess, kind of behind this nonchalant, like who cares, cynical, (laughs) ironic sort of coat of paint on top. And I get how people can read his stuff and see only that Mm -hmm. and how that would make them depressed and just think, oh, this is a depressing guy just trying to inflict his misery on everyone else. And like just adding all this shocking stuff in there just to make you sad and depressed. Yeah, but I think you could you could levy the same thing against a guy like Brett and say, "Oh, th- we here we've just got a, you know, a nihilistic sad person showing us more of what we already know that the world is a dark and miserable place and it's messed up." Mm-hmm. But you've got to ask yourself like what is that the motivating force be- behind someone going and writing you know, five books and essays about this stuff? Is it really that? Or is it someone who's maybe so sensitive and so attuned to this problem and so upset by it and hurt by it that they f- they want to try and combat it Yeah, with their books? And I think it's 100% the latter for both of them, but maybe even more so with um, with Welbeck. And I, I think another important thing to note is that he started off as a poet. So yeah. he's clearly 
a sensitive guy. A lot of poems in this book too. Yeah. I mean this the book itself I think the last line is this was book is dedicated to humanity. Mm-hmm. I think mankind. I think he's someone that um not only isn't a a cynical person but possibly loves humankind so much that he thinks that it deserves to look at itself hard in the mirror as painful as that might be and try and reflect mm-hmm. and maybe snap them out of something so that they wake up and i mean that's kind of that's another one of the thesis points of the book is that time is so short life goes by it's usually mundane but it's punctuated by a, maybe a few opportunistic moments and i think that what he really is doing is trying to lift people up and say he's showing them this is how it is but you're better than that you deserve more and even if it's the work is hard and painful to change you deserve to go through that and have something better now i don't know if the book gives an answer necessarily for that but it at least points away from this pit of like death and misery it's a, that it's it a describes. warning it's like 1984 brave new world it has like that big warning at the end um does he really offer a solution not really but you can tell he is trying to offer something like look look at this mess and do you want to fix it before it becomes this um and i agree with the hurting like i i think he is hurting in this book and i think you get a glimpse of it when uh the mom is finally dying in the end and Bruno is like screaming at her, basically telling her how awful she is and how she deserves to die. And I think that was Michelle's way of getting back at his mom in a way of saying like, you are the reason why I've become this way. Or, you know, if, if things were a little bit different, maybe I'd look at life a little bit different. Um, but but I agree. I don't think he's just complaining to say like, oh, my life sucks. I'm going to smoke my cigarette and, you know, no- nothing matters and nothing can come of it. I agree. It's a big warning for humanity. Do you see any hope in the book at all? Or do you think it's just ending on we're doomed and there's nothing you can do about it? I think there's some hope and the only time you get any kind of hope which it's very sad with the kind of ending they give her but I think Annabelle is like the one glimmer of hope that there are people out there with a soul and want to connect and have love in their hearts um, and are beautiful and I think Michelle Welbeck was trying to show that in her character of course gave her a terrible tragic ending but um, I think he was trying to show that humans are able to connect and and there could be hope for the human race to find love in reproducing or making the world a better place. Um, that's how I took Maybe it. Maybe saying like, there aren't going to be many real chances for you to find happiness. There might be one or two or three, but if you're able to save enough of yourself... Seize the moment. To 
recognize those things when they come and hang on to it and commit to it and not uh, falter because you're afraid or because you think you have this, you know, still another 30 years of like pleasure and freedom awaiting you. If you can ignore these blinders that society is putting on in front of you and just grab these rare things when it's just staring when they pop you in, in the front face. of you, maybe you can save yourself. That's that's how I took her character. I think I agree. But I still wouldn't read the book if you were having a bad day. No, don't read this book if you're having a bad day. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we've opened up your mind to reading someone like Welbeck. Um, I, I certainly had my mind opened by him, and I look forward to reading something else by him. If you like this video, please like, subscribe if you aren't already. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And uh, we hope you join us for the next episode. And remember, if a book is banned, it's worth reading. <laughs>